Everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing fine, probably. I'm honestly not sure. It's been a week. Uh, Finley got his surgery on his back leg a week ago today, and he's recovering really well. He's doing good. But let me tell you, if I had the same aversion to taking drugs that Finley does, my 20s would have been a very different place. Nobody had to hide that shit in peanut butter or hot dog slices for me. But yeah, with Finley, it's a real ordeal to get him to take his drugs that he needs. And, like I said, I really haven't slept, which has made for kind of a volatile combination. Because I gotta hide his drugs in food, and he is wise to that, so he doesn't want to eat any food that I give him. And some of these drugs have to be taken with food. And, like I said, I haven't slept. So, I'm pretty sure if we were doing a President of the Drama Club this week, we're not because it's a Defenders issue, not a Teen Titans issue that we're covering, but I think I would be the President of the Drama Club because yesterday morning, my dog wouldn't eat an egg that I fried for him, and he growled at me when I tried to give it to him, so I started crying and asked him, do you really hate me that much? So that's where I'm at. Anyway, this show might be a little bit incoherent, but what the fuck, that's never stopped me before. Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. My mistress's eyes are nothing like brown bears. Her mouth and nose are much unlike a snout. And when she scratches, no strong matter tears. For she lacks claws to put her foes to rout. In honey pots her head hath never stuck, And though she's chased, she's never chased by bees, In shapes of arrows, guns, nor fire trucks, And picnic baskets do not please her. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know, No ursine growls I'll hear escape her throat. And she'll not sleep to scape the frigid snow, But braves winter in artifice's coat. And yet I love her as I'd an ursus, more than any who grace this synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Defenders, number 102. December, 1981. Mind Games! Written by J.M. DeMatteis, drawn by Don Perlin, inked by Joe Sinnott and Sal Trapiani and Jack Abel, lettered by Shelley Lefferman, colored by George Rousos, and edited by Al Milgram, who also drew the cover. Defensive lineup! Clea! Gargoyle! Wong! But mostly, Nighthawk! Previously in the Defenders! Back in the 60s when he was in college, Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, used to be an irresponsible, self-centered asshole. He still is, but also, he used to be. 
One night, Kyle was drunk driving and wrecked his car. The billionaire-to-well bird enthusiast awoke in a hospital the next day with some relatively minor injuries, but was informed that his girlfriend Mindy had died in the accident. Kyle was devastated and racked with guilt when he remembered to be. The rest of the time, the affluent avian aficionado was busy being an amateur alchemist, a thrill-seeking super-burglar, a negligent CEO, and eventually a superhero. Also, for a while, he was a disembodied brain sitting in a punch bowl full of drugs. But he got better. Then, a few months ago, a robot who looked an awful lot like the allegedly deceased Mindy showed up at a press conference and beat the shit out of the bewildered billionaire. Hooray! Spider-Man showed up and ripped the robot's head off before it could do any serious damage, then Kyle kicked the head out of a window, but before its defenestration, the Robo-Mindy head told Kyle to go to he and Mindy's old alma mater, Greyburn University, if he wanted to learn what was going on. Robo-Mindy, if Kyle wanted to learn things, he wouldn't have dropped out of Greyburn in the first place. Nevertheless, that evening, Nighthawk and Spider-Man headed upstate to investigate the campus. When they arrived at the college, the heroes were startled to find that despite the fact that the university had been closed for several years, the campus was bustling with students, most of whom were dressed in the counterculture attire of the late 60s. They were even more surprised when the students attacked them with razor-sharp steel-plated picket signs and laser-shooting guitars. Hooray! It turned out that the apparent hippies were in fact robo-hippies, controlled by the same puppet master who had deployed robo-Mindy earlier that day to dispatch Kyle. The robo-hippies captured the two heroes, at which point a shadowy figure in a wheelchair rolled onto the quad and started cackling maniacally. The mysterious cackler rolled into the light and revealed herself to be... Mindy! Apparently, unbeknownst to Kyle, his unfortunate passenger had not perished in that car accident after all. Instead, Mindy had been paralyzed from the waist down. Kyle's asshole father had visited her in the hospital and paid her to go away so that he could fake her death and use the resulting guilt to manipulate his feckless son. Mindy agreed to go along with this plan, but only so that she could use the money to plot her revenge against Kyle, who she quite reasonably blamed for her paralysis. Mindy invested her hush money wisely and used its profit to buy Greyburn University and fill its campus with deadly robo-hippies she bought from Doctor Doom. Hooray! When Mindy finished regaling her captives with this exposition dump, Kyle and Spidey escaped from their metallic guards and yelled at Mindy until she walked a few steps and agreed to try to be sane. Hooray? Declaring her undying love for Kyle, Mindy collapsed in the puzzled plutocrat's arms. Vowing never to abandon her again, Kyle shipped Mindy off to an expensive sanitarium in New England. Shortly thereafter, a mysterious, apparently mystical attack rendered Kyle paralyzed, except at night when he was still as strong as two strong men. In the following weeks, he quit the Defenders several times, fought demons, hired a day nurse named Luann Bloom, who seems nice, and appeared to have forgotten all about Mindy. Gadzooks! How will Mindy react to Kyle's neglect? Will she send more robo-hippies? And what treatment method will the Defenders use to try to cure Nighthawk of his mysterious malady? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, not particularly well. No, this time she uses shadowy mind rats. And, 
a sorceress Rube Goldberg device that I'm only like 60% sure isn't an elaborate prank. In the privacy of Stephen Strange's Greenwich Village Sanctum Sanctimonious, Clea and Gargoyle dangle Kyle upside down over an elaborate sorceress Rube Goldberg device made of various interconnected braziers and sigils and candles while they zap energy bolts near him and say nonsense words. Neat! While all this is going on, in a room downstairs, Luann Bloom has tea with Wong and expresses skepticism that this alleged treatment is actually doing anything. Wong is like, Well, it's what Steve told them to do before he left to go hang out with a bunch of tiny robots and aliens for a few months, so if you got a problem with it, you can take it up with him when he gets back. But you might want to wait a while, because my guess is he's gonna be pretty grumpy when he finds out the microverse doesn't have any tiny flame ghosts. Just then, Gargoyle carries Kyle down the stairs, with Clea close behind. Clea's like, so we'll just do this every week for a few years, and maybe eventually you'll get better or something. Kyle's like, I'm pretty busy running my business these days. I don't think I'm going to have time for this. Clay is like, no, you aren't, and yes, you do. Kyle's like, yeah, I do. Luann loads Kyle into his limo, and they head home. Once they're gone, Gargoyle sneaks up to his guest room so he can look in the mirror. He thinks about how ugly he is, which, fair point, and about the fact that apparently he has made a big decision. Uh-oh. The last big decision Isaac made was to turn himself into a gargoyle and sacrifice Patsy's soul to demons in exchange for an economic incentives program for his hometown. So, the fact that he's made another big decision doesn't exactly fill me with confidence. The next morning, Kyle and Luann go to Massachusetts, so that Nighthawk can finally check in on Mindy and see how she's doing since he stuffed her in a sanitarium a few months ago. As they drive through the wrought iron gates of Carrie White Acres Mental Institution, Kyle fills Luann in on why he brought Mindy there. Being a major donor to the hospital, when they arrive, Kyle is given the VIP treatment and is greeted at the door by the chief of staff a gregarious, bespectacled man who introduces himself as Dr. August Masters. Cool name. Masters gives the visitors a tour of the facility. The institution is bright and cheerful, and the patients seem to be happy and well cared for. They head to the art therapy room, where they're informed that Mindy has taken up painting. Apparently, she is the happiest when she is making pictures of herself and Kyle as teenagers holding hands on romantic walks. Dr. Masters tells Kyle that for the most part, Mindy is doing great and is making a lot of progress. But whenever anyone brings up Kyle's name, she gets super pissed and kind of freaks out. Kyle's like, yeah, I get that a lot. And most of those people I didn't paralyze in a drunk driving accident. Can I pop in and say hi? Masters is like, well, it's almost certain to set her therapy back by weeks at least, but... You're rich and your dad donated a wing here, so you know what? Go for it. Kyle rolls up in his wheelchair to Mindy's and is like, Hi, I'm in a wheelchair now, too. They gaze across the room at one another. Mindy looks sad at first, with her eyes full of empathy for Kyle. She starts to reach out to him. But then, she quickly withdraws her hand and is like, Psych! Fuck you, Kyle! You fucking suck and I hate you! Then she starts laughing her ass off. The staff hurries to rush Mindy back to her room. 
As she's wheeled away, Mindy continues to rail against Kyle and threatens to kill him. Luann, who has been waiting in the next room, asks Kyle what happened, and he's like, eh, pretty typical reunion with an ex-girlfriend. Honestly, this went a little better than most of them. That night, in the nearby hotel room that Kyle and Luann have rented for the night, Clea sends an astral projection of her disembodied head to have a little chat with Kyle. She's like, So you know how we figured your paralysis was the result of an attack by those six demons who decided to save on rent by living as finger puppets on a giant evil hand? Kyle's like, Yeah? Clea continues, and then we found out that those demons were just stooges for the devil and his pals, the devil, the devil, and the devil, so we figured they were the ones who were actually behind the attack on you? Kyle's like, uh-huh. Clay is like, well, forget all that. It turns out the mystical assault on you wasn't mystical at all. It was psychic, and it came from Carrie White Acres, the very institution you were visiting today. Want me to grab a couple of other defenders and head up there to help you investigate? Nighthawk is like, Nah, now that my diurnal paralysis is no longer affecting me, I'm as strong as two strong men. I think I'm more than a match for whatever is in that place. Clay is like, Kyle, whatever is in that place nearly killed you and left you paralyzed for the last several months. Literally, the only thing we know about it is that you are no match for it. Kyle is like, yeah, but still. Clay is like, okay, whatever, good luck. Kyle's like, I don't need luck. I have the strength of two strong men and a fancy bird suit. And with that, Nighthawk stealthily flies back to Carrie White Acres to investigate the suspicious sanitarium. He lands quietly on the roof and uses his suit's fancy titanium claws to slice through the iron bars on one of the windows. As he sneaks into the building, he thinks to himself, <laughs> I am so sneaky. Nobody in there has any idea that I'm here. Inside the hospital's security center, a guard places a call and is like, Hey, Dr. Masters, Kyle Richmond just busted into the place like you said he would. Damn it, Kyle! Before he's made it more than a few steps from the window, Nighthawk is confronted by a dozen or so heavily armed orderlies. He beats the shit out of them. As soon as the incensed industrialist finishes dispatching the overzealous security staff, a lone figure approaches him from the other direction. It's August Masters. Unfazed by the violence he has just witnessed, the hospital director is like, Ah, Mr. Richmond, right on time. Kyle's like, what the fuck is going on here? Masters is like, Oh, we're all government agents doing secret research. Come on, I'll show you around. Masters leads the perplexed plutocrat to a hidden elevator, which takes him to the building's sub-sub-sub-basement. The subterranean lair holds a high-tech lab filled with fancy machinery that many of the hospital's patients are hooked up to in various ways. In the center of the room, with some sort of a sci-fi colander strapped to her head, sits a nearly catatonic Mindy. Dr. Masters glibly explains that the government has been using this facility to do experiments on mental patients to try to harness their psychic abilities. The most promising subject they've encountered so far is Mindy. A few months ago, they hooked her up to their gizmos and funneled all of the mental energy from the other patients into her noodle and zapped her with a hearty helping of electricity to see what would happen. Well, what happened was... A bunch of stuff exploded, some people died, and Kyle, 
whose name she was yelling at the time, got paralyzed. Masters considers the experiment a big success. Kyle feels otherwise. He punches Masters in the face. Dr. Masters isn't a big fan of being punched in the face, so he tells his scientists to fire up the Mindytron and use her to zap Kyle with some sort of psychic whammy. Some switches are thrown and Mindy gets a whacked out look in her eyes. Suddenly, Nighthawk finds himself besieged by a legion of ethereal wraith-like silhouettes shaped like huge, feral rats. Oh shit! These ravenous rodents of the mind savage the shit out of Kyle, ripping his costume to shreds in the process. They are about to start turning the terrified tycoon into a couple hundred pounds of psychic rat shit when something strange happens to Mindy. Which is not to say that having the government strap a high-tech colander to her head and turn her into a deadly rodent-themed shadow puppet generator isn't strange. I think we can all agree that's pretty weird. But what happens to her next is a different kind of strange. She starts seeing images of herself and Kyle holding hands and smooching back in their college days. These images trigger a change in Mindy. She starts liking Kyle again. Now that's what I call strange. Redirecting her anger towards those that had been manipulating her, Mindy orders her mind rats to attack the staff of Carrie White Acres. No longer besieged by phantasmic vermin, Nighthawk rushes to Mindy's side and yoinks the colander off her head. The rats disappear, but their grim work has already been carried out. With the exception of Dr. August Masters, all of the staff members and most of the other patients are either unconscious or dead. Also, Mindy can walk again now. Huh. Good for her, I guess. Dr. Masters brushes himself off and is like, Well, guess I better hush all this up and start rebuilding things. Kyle's like, No way! I am a richo! Therefore, when I talk, people listen, and I'm gonna tell everyone about you and your bullshittery. Masters is like, Huh, that's cute. Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Bye! Kyle wants to argue, but figures he better go find another remote institution to go shove Mindy into, so he escorts her out of the building. The next night, Clea, Kyle, and Luann meet up in the Sanctum. Clea informs them that it was her magic which caused Mindy to go all lovey-dovey towards Kyle and reverse her rat attack. Kyle's like, yeah, whatever. I'm sorry, Clea. I'm just still so pissed at that Masters guy. But I'll show him. I just blabbed all about him to the press. I can't wait for him to get his comeuppance. Wong enters the room and is like, Hey guys, sorry to intrude, but some guy just rang the doorbell and asked me to give this newspaper to Kyle. When he handed it to me, he said something along the lines of, Tell Kyle, I will never get my comeuppance. Ha 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 ha. Something like that. Anyway, here's the paper. Kyle Richmond flips frantically through the proffered paper, searching for some version of the expose on Masters and his cronies that he had dictated to his media contacts. But nothing along those lines has been printed. Eventually, near the back of the newspaper, he finds a short blurb about the fact that a certain Massachusetts sanitarium had experienced a small electrical fire, and all of its files had been destroyed. I guess Kyle must really hate electrical fires, because reading this article pisses him off something fierce. The tempestuous tycoon swears vengeance on August Masters, and punches a hole in the wall of the sanctum. To be continued. Oh, 
I bet that Massachusetts sanitarium is probably Carrie White Acres. Now I get why Kyle's pissed. He probably paid for Mindy's stay in advance, and now that the files are destroyed, he won't be able to get a prorated refund. Bummer. And joining us once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty great. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm a little bit out of it right now. Yeah? Yeah. As you know, Finley had surgery recently on his leg, and so he has to stay in a crate all of the time, and we have to keep him from licking his wound, so I moved the futon down to the living room so that I could stay next to his crate in the night. And we had a slumber party last night, and I didn't get a ton of sleep. Ooh, add the hot weather to boot. That sounds like not a good sleeping time. It wasn't ideal. I mean, we had a pretty good slumber party, you know. I I brushed his hair, and we stayed up late watching Columbo. Like, I think you would probably do at a slumber party. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where he got that bowl of warm water to put my hand in, but, uh... wow. He's quite a prankster. Yeah. But, yeah, he's doing a lot better now. He got some pretty strong doggy benzos, which Mm. are really good. My only concern about them is they they really dry my mouth out. Yeah, I was going to say, stay hydrated. I'll do my best. So, uh, yeah, well, we'll see how the rest of this show goes. Yeah, dog surgery is stressful. <laughs> you got to medicate. What have you been up to? Oh, you know, just working and trying to stay cool and keep my garden hydrated. You know, mm. exciting stuff like that. Well, if... Your old yearbook quotes are anything to go by. I'm sure you'll have no problem staying cool. Uh, And having a great summer. I am having a great summer. So far, so good. Glad to hear it. Well, do you want to fuck all that up by reading a comic book about Nighthawk? Um, it seems like we have to. (laughs) All right. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? Mind Games. That's the name of the story mind games and it had a really cool logo too Mm -hmm. so i enjoyed that Mm -hmm. you know some small very small part of my brain was holding out that kyle was as evidenced by some of the words of his nanny that's that's where (laughs) luana is right was turning a corner away Mm -hmm. from being a a self-centered self-pitying jerk yeah, and some lip service to that idea was paid early on in the book, not just by Luann, but also by Clea. And then as the book progressed, that seemed less and less like the case. Yeah, and I also had the strange experience of reading this comic book and then listening to the synopsis from the last episode after it. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, he's not making progress at all. This is terrible. Yeah, it is interesting because that issue was written by J.M. DeMatteis right before he took over the Defenders. So chronologically, that issue would have happened right before issue, I think, 92, which is right before the mystical attack on Kyle that we now know wasn't a mystical attack that was actually from Mindy. So Mm -hmm. it, it is interesting the way that that got set up that far in advance. Yeah, he didn't come off great in that story, and 
in both that story and this one, the caption work and Nighthawk and those around him seem to feel, oh man, he's gotten so much better. He's really changed. And then, I don't know, man, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and that does not seem to be the case. No, no, it doesn't. So that bugged me a little bit. And then also, like, the driver for the story in a large part being, you know, man, she is so crazy. Yeah. You know, like this hell hath no fury kind of thing. I was just tired. Mm-hmm. There's that, and then there's also kind of some playing into the stigmas against mental health issues and, and physical health issues. There's a fair amount of ableism in this. It is odd that at the end of each of her appearances thus far, there's been only two that she's actually been in, other than, I think, brief flashbacks when Kyle was a brain sitting in a punch bowl. Ah, uh, those were the days. <laughs> I was just about to say... Each one of her actual appearances in the book has ended with her being cured of her spinal injury by her feeling better about herself or by Kyle yelling at her or something. And it is weird to see her walking away at the end of this issue, too, where it's like, oh, now that she's less emotional, she's all better. Wait, she walks away at the end? That was like one of my giant questions. I thought Kyle just left her in the like the wreck of the sanitarium. No, you see him walking away with her while the guy blows smoke rings. Right. I mean, maybe he left her in a different part of the sanitarium. Just go into a different room. I think he's like, go back to room, Mindy. But I mean, either way, she can walk now. So I guess good for her, if not great in terms of precedent setting. I gotta say, despite all that, there was a lot about this issue I liked. And considering that for the Defenders ones, I've now read what amounts to two solo more or less kyle issues in a row i've liked both of them more than i expected to i gotta say hmm. what about them was uh, appealing well i mean in the last one i liked that there were robo hippies with laser guitars well yeah i mean goes without saying right so that did a lot of the heavy lifting in that issue in this one i just i enjoyed a lot of the writing I liked the shade that it throws on the CIA, or in this case, the CIB. It's interesting that in the Marvel Universe, the stand-in for the CIA is the CIB, and then in DC, it's the CBI that King Faraday is associated with. But I liked the character August Masters. (laughs) I think it's odd that Kyle plays such a import on putting the doctor in quotation marks once he found out he was a government agent because i bet he is still a doctor Mm -hmm. but i mean i don't like his character but i like him as a character i like the idea of a bad guy who is cloaked in the trappings of patriotism and i thought there was a lot of fun stuff with that i liked clea in this issue the art was kind of inconsistent but it was inconsistent in a way that i actually found interesting. There were three different inkers working on this, as has been the case in a lot of the previous issues. But in this one, I could actually pinpoint which inkers were doing which pages. I I found a guide online and then looking at it, I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, you can see the different techniques that each of them bring to it. And uh, I thought that was cool. And there were also just some weird, fun touches that I liked. Did you notice the name of the sanitarium? I didn't notice it 
is reminding me of something else. Was there a connection I missed? Well, it's called Carrie White Acres. Uh-huh. Carrie White is Carrie from the Stephen King book. Oh, really? And in this issue, Mindy starts exhibiting powers not too dissimilar to Carrie White's. And I think the hat is tipped in more than one way to that being the reference here, because you have the rest of the staff at Carrie White Acres being Mr. Torrance, which is Jack Torrance from The Shining, and Mr. King, which I think is just a nod to Stephen King. Uh, and then also Nurse Ratchet works there. How about that? I mean, that's from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, so that's Ken Kesey instead. But I, I still thought that was just like some fun, interesting little Easter eggs that were in there. Yeah, definitely. I missed every single one of them. Thank you for calling them out. And I'm also not sure if I really like August Master's name. I think that's just a cool name. I wonder if it is a on-purpose reference to the Masters golf tournament in Augusta, because that's where my mind went to it, especially because it was initially just called a New England sanitarium. We later find out it's in Massachusetts, so maybe that's just my brain making connections that weren't actually there. But uh, I thought that was kind of fun, too. And either way, like I said, August Masters is a cool name. Yeah, and uh, he most assuredly is a golfer. Oh, definitely. I mean, he's evil. Yeah. Not that all golfers are evil, but all evil people golf. <laughs> I don't know. Was there anything that you liked about the issue? Um, I think that thing, when whenever you read a comic book of a certain era, it is like having that time capsule experience. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely going on here. Although, because of all the stuff we mentioned at the beginning, it's it's none of it's really good stuff. <laughs> but it's, it is still you know, just interesting to see that time capsule. I thought the art was pretty fun. I really liked the way that they dealt with the mind of rats that Mindy looses upon everybody, especially on Kyle. Yeah, I thought those were really cool. And that was actually one of the instances to me in which it was most stark between the different inkers, because you have on back-to-back -back pages different artists portraying them. On page 16... It is Joe Sinnott inking the rats. And then when you see them on the next page, on page 17, that's Sal Trapiani. And you can just see, like, the rats just look really different. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was cool to note. But those shadow mind rats are something else. Creepy as hell. And I also like that they chose to denude Kyle only to jorts and dish gloves. Yeah, they're impish, these shadow mind rats. Oh, sorry, and his boots. They left his, his boots. Pretty good prank overall. Yeah, he looks really silly. And they gave him a, a shiner. His eye looks like a, a butthole, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then, just to get back to the artwork, the last three pages of the book are inked by Jack Abel. And I like Jack Abel a lot as an artist, but his style is really different. And there's that panel where you see August Masters blowing smoke rings. And it's a really beautifully drawn panel, but earlier in the series, when Perlin first took over as artist, there were a lot of panels that I think I mentioned were really beautifully drawn, but seemed kind of static and more like almost chapter book illustrations than comic book panels. And that, I think, is really the case when Jack Abel is inking him. And it's interesting to see that, and I hadn't been aware that that would make such a difference. And so that was kind of fun for me to take a look at. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. Now that you mention it, there is a pretty distinct quality to some of the different panels and pages in here. Yeah, the way I think it broke down is, if I'm remembering correctly, Joe Sinnott did the first page, Sal Trapiani did pages 2 through 7, Joe Sinnott did pages 8 through 16, Sal Trapiani did 17 and 18, and Jack Abel did the last three pages. So knowing that that was the delineation, it was really interesting to be able to pinpoint and notice the different art styles to me. Mm. And I just thought that was kind of fun. Not necessarily an on-purpose perk to the book, but still something I enjoyed noting. There was a, a lot of, I thought, inadvertently fun stuff with Mindy. Uh, I liked watching Kyle get the shit beat out of him. When they are first brought face-to-face -face and they're both in their wheelchairs, I thought Kyle was kind of charmingly self-deprecating at first. And then there was that moment where Mindy starts laughing. And I was like, oh, they're sharing a moment of, like, ironic, isn't it? And then she just goes full-on, ha evil laugh and starts uh, attacking him. And I thought that was uh, a, a nice moment that was pretty well handled. Yeah, I know. It's too bad we don't have a, a bow zone because, man, she's got some zingers for Kyle. She calls <laughs> she really it does. serves you right, you dirty animal. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. A character who reacted very differently to Kyle, which I think this is the most we've seen of her, is Luann Bloom. What did you think of her and her portrayal? Um, it didn't seem to have a lot of dimension to it, unless I missed something. Maybe not a ton, but she is the first character we've seen in a comic book that has evinced skepticism about the supernatural in a way that actually made sense to me, given the context of the comic book. Like, she's distrustful of Doctor Strange's mystical healing techniques, but willing to go along with it. And then when a switcheroo is pulled and it's like, well, okay, this guy is a doctor and a noted surgeon and a magician, and so he'll use a combination of those to treat Kyle. She's a little on the fence about that, and then when it gets to, and he's not here right now, so instead, his girlfriend, who is from another dimension and is just a magician, is going to treat him along with her monster friend. Mm -hmm. I thought it made sense for her to be protective in that scenario, and it was... I don't know, interesting to see a kind of skepticism that I didn't have a knee-jerk reaction to that was like, you're in a comic book, deal with it, you know? Yeah, which is often the case, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know, it, it seems like it is trying to establish her as a reasonable character who actually cares about Kyle and actually have her be a character in the book rather than just show up in a panel as the nurse. And so I was happy to see that. Yeah, no, no. It's good that she's protective of her charge. Yeah, well, somebody needs to be, because Kyle does not have a ton going for himself in the way of self-preservation. No. I did think it was funny that when Clea's face starts hovering between them in the motel room that Nighthawk rented for them, a couple of things I found funny about that. First of all, that it must just be that it's in a remote location, because I gotta believe Kyle could do better than a motel for the two of them to stay in, especially having them share a room. Yeah, it's not like he's been a um, person who tries to save money often. No, he, he does not seem to pinch pennies, this Kyle. 
Uh, the man spent several billion dollars on a chair at one point. Yeah, he, he didn't even have a coupon like me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I also thought it was funny Luann's reaction when Clea had her head projection hovering in the room. That she was like, oh shit, you guys really are magic. I kind of thought you might be full of shit. I enjoyed that. I, of course, did not have any disbelief as to Clea's mystical abilities. The thing that strained my credulity in this issue more than anything else was that the secret government facility that was a mental institution where they were experimenting on the patients was for rich people. That was the thing that I was like, well, in this comic book where people are doing magic and there's a monster man who shoots life out of his hands, this seems a little bit far-fetched. <laughs> Good point. It really does seem like if the government is going to experiment on people without their consent, typically it is not on the very wealthy, and specifically not on the wealthy and well-connected. That is not in keeping with government policy. One thing that kind of did jar me a little bit when I read it was when you see the gargoyle looking in the mirror in Doctor Strange's spare bedroom, the caption refers to the next issue in a way that broke the fourth wall, which I was really not expecting. It was weird to see the next issue be referenced in captions that were not an editor's note with a little asterisk. Did that strike you as odd? Now that you say it, it seems like it really should have. But <laughs> I was just thinking, man, a gargoyle's fucking ugly. <laughs> Honestly, on those Sal Trapiani pages, the early ones in the book, he does not come across particularly well. He's drawn fairly inconsistently in those. I think he is a difficult character to get right, and uh, his, his portrayal in those pages is a little bit all over the place. I didn't notice it my first time reading through when it says, And pondering, he has been shaken. And shaken, he has made certain decisions that will thrust the Defenders deep into mystery next issue. It just, it's odd to have the next issue referred to it that way. Well, I mean, that exposition should have been in one of those orange boxes like the rest of it. I just think they didn't want to fuck up the because it was in the middle of the mirror. I guess that makes sense. Though normally if it's in those little orange boxes, like I said, it will have an asterisk that will say editor's note because those are generally made by the editor and not the writer of the issue. But I think I didn't notice it the first time because I was distracted by the fact that in a caption in the previous panel, we learned in an editor's note box that has a little asterisk that in the last issue, apparently Silver Surfer and Devil Slayer moved out of Steve's place. Do you remember that happening? Um, no, but so many things happen. That's fair. But I think the last issue ended with them all hanging out on the Defender's front steps. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to note that that specifically happened in the last issue, I guess maybe between panels. It also said that Gargoyle had been staying in that room since Devil Slayer and Silver Surfer moved out. Were Silver Surfer and Devil Slayer sharing a room? Yeah, I guess the Sanctum Sanctimonious is not as big. Or Steve was just like, no, no, you two in there. <laughs> maybe they really hit it off. Maybe that's why they moved out. Maybe they're either got an apartment together or they're on a road trip. Oh, 
I mean, they're such an odd couple. Like, I could hear the promos for that movie about them going on their road trip. He's a sullen superhero with a traumatic backstory who's prone to violent mood swings. He's a sullen superhero with a tragic backstory who's prone to violent mood swings, but is silver. Can these two get along? I'd watch that. Yeah, I would too. What would you call it? I don't know. Surf's up? No. Oh. That would be maybe part of the tagline. It would be like, uh, surf's up for evil. Um, I mean, that doesn't make sense, but it still sounds like a tagline. Man, uh, there's got to be a good name in there somewhere. Uh, hanging ten <laughs> devils? <laughs> I don't know. Does hanging ten devils do anything? <laughs> no. No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> I think that's a good track to go on. Uh, oh, Bosom Buddies. Oh, there we go. Nailed it. No, that's taken. Maybe we just spell it with a Z. Oh, B. Like, B. Uh, how do you spell that? B-O-Z-Z-O-M. Because also it stars ZZ Top. Oh, rest in peace, rest Dusty in Hill. Peace, Dusty. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, we got our title. All right. Bosom Buddies. <laughs> There's a weird part when Kyle is talking with Luann, where he's filling everyone in on his backstory. Filling Luann in, but via her filling us readers in, if we didn't happen to catch Marvel Team-Up number 101, on his backstory with Mindy, where he says that then she cracked up from guilt. What would she have been guilty of at that point? (sighs) Taking the hush money from his dad... After he nearly killed her in a drunk driving accident, she feels guilty that his dad gave her money. Yeah, see, that was my pr- part of my problem with the with the book. There was just they were just putting all the shit on her. Yeah, and that was part of the like, oh, I guess maybe Kyle hasn't grown up as much as the book would like us to believe because he's doing that. He is still centering himself as the focus of her story in a way that I found really. I don't know, it just seemed gross. Mm-hmm. And that when Clea offers to help and offers the Defender's help in rescuing her, he's like, no, this is something I have to do on my own. Dude, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. If you're honestly concerned about this woman, take as much help as you can get. Don't make it about your ego and about having to prove something to yourself. That's fucking garbage. Right, but then that's reinforced by that narrative where she feels guilty because she let him think that she was dead all this time so like she's feeling guilty that he's maybe feeling guilty i guess but i felt like that all got ironed out in marvel team up number 101 but i guess maybe there's not the expectation that the people reading this book would necessarily have read that i don't know i'm still mad at kyle for shooting that building in the (laughs) last (laughs) issue yeah he's got a lot to he's got a lot to answer for which is why maybe it was nice to see him uh, suffer a little bit on the cover of this issue. Oh my god, that cover is maybe my favorite part of this whole comic book. It is really, really cool looking. 
It is a picture of Kyle just holding his head like he has the worst Excedrin headache in the universe and just totally freaking out. And in the background, you can see Mindy hooked up to a bunch of diodes, presumably zapping his mind. But above him, you see hovering the heads of Gargoyle, Clea, the Hulk, and Valkyrie. Valkyrie and the Hulk aren't even in this issue. Nope. Seems like an odd choice that they would be watching. I also think it's funny that more than concerned for Kyle, most of the floating heads above him just look embarrassed and kind of uncomfortable for him. Like, Clea looks a little bit freaked out, like maybe she's worried about him. But Val is just side-eyeing him, and the Hulk is like, uh, Hulk want to leave room. Hulk not comfortable with this. Yeah, no, I feel like they're all going like, ah. <laughs> this guy. Exactly. It is a cool cover, though, and I actually really like the headshots that appear in the little Marvel Comics group rectangle in the upper left-hand corner. Clea particularly looks really good in that little inset. And it's nice to see Clea's face represented there. Mm -hmm. I am really pleased that Demetrius seems to be making her part of the team. Yeah, I know. We've been talking about this for a while. Like, when is it going to be? She's, like, official. Yeah, it seems like that must be the case. If nothing else, she gets that little inset. So don't know how long it'll last. But for now, at least, she is a defender. And I'm happy about that. Yeah, it makes me forgive for, for what's possibly a, a passive-aggressive way or just having some fun, which is to tell Kyle that he needs to be hung upside down for his <laughs> magical treatments and like maybe have his head bounced off the floor a few times. Man, that was such a fun way to open the book. <laughs> like, th there is some kind of an elaborate mystical mousetrap setup going on where, like, those, then the magic has to go around through this and knock the man into the bathtub and then the <laughs> mystical net can fall on Kyle after a boot kicks it. Exactly, yeah. Mystical mousetrap. Love it. It was pretty cool, and uh, I like that Gargoyle's just there like, well, I guess I'll do my best. I don't know what this shit is. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty fun. You know, there's a lot more to talk about, but I think most of it's going to come up in the minutia. Was there anything you wanted to bring up before we move on into the minutia? No, let's do it. All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like starting off with? Why don't we talk about the artwork? Stupid favorite panel. Yes, let's do that. But before we do, there is just one thing I wanted to mention real quickly. There is a picket sign in this issue, Corey. Did you notice that? Oh my god. What? How did I miss? It is in the flashback scene about the robo-hippies with laser guitars. One of them is carrying a picket sign, part of which we can read, which says down with presumably kyle but a picket sign i think i was distracted by the shadowing in spider-man's crotch which really makes it look like he's wearing a pair of black panties over his <laughs> superhero outfit yeah maybe he is i mean they are wearing their underwear on the outside so 
yeah, why not wear a different kind of underwear on the outside? Especially, you know, college is a time for experimentation. Yep. I mean, I know he's not attending the college at that point, but he's visiting. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is my going to college outfit. Yeah. All right. Really takes me back. Uh... But the panel in which that picket sign appeared was not one of my favorite panels. I thought it was a fine panel. But uh, interestingly enough, I realized after I was going back through the issue for my favorite panels, I think I got one that is by each of the different inkers. And they're all very different panels. On page 15, we get the panel that's a full page spread that I like to call All Rats. And it is the Shadow Mind Rats just ravaging Kyle. I had that one too. I called it Psy Hats and Rats. Because mm. everybody on the top has those uh, psychic hats on. Oh, no, I had the, the continuation of that scene on the next page. Ooh. Mine was on page 16. I'm sorry. I thought I had said that. Oh, I had 15. Ah. Either way, all of them psychic rats, be them accompanied by folks with hats or not. Real good. Wow, that was almost Susian. So I loved that panel. I also really liked, on page 20, I've mentioned it before, but it's of August Masters just kind of quietly gloating as Kyle walks out of the room with Mindy, who can walk now. And he's blowing smoke rings and saying, we'll see, my friend, just who gets squashed and who doesn't. Which is a pretty lame retort, but he does back it up. And mostly it's just a really nice illustration of him blowing smoke rings. Although, as I noted, it does look more like almost a book illustration. There is just that odd static quality to it that I would associate more with either a book or Honestly, you see that kind of thing in romance comics a lot, where it just looks kind of posed. Mm -hmm. But it's a really nice-looking panel. Mindy left with her husky friend, Kyle. <laughs> she sure did. And I also really liked on page 7, I referenced it before, but the panel where Kyle and Mindy are both staring at each other from their respective wheelchairs, and there's a mirror between them, and over in the corner of the panel, is a painting that Mindy drew of both of them together holding hands when they could both still walk. It's just the shot composition of that, I think, is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that definitely has a, I don't know if cinematic's the right word, but, a, you know, a photo kind of quality to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the way it's composed, and I like the story that it's telling there. What were some of your favorite panels? So, as, as I said, I had... Psy hats and rats on page 15 just the way mm -hmm. that those rats are drawn completely opaque was great and i also really loved all of the detail that went into the lab scene on page 13 mm -hmm. there's just cables and people and knobs and dials and all kinds of stuff yeah it, it's very very cool looking i like that one a lot too there is another panel that i wanted to mention and it's on page 11 i call it disorderlies but not the fat boys <laughs> and it is of king and torrance and i don't believe nurse ratchet is in this one but it's just a very dynamic shot of all of the orderlies of the hospital heavily armed with futuristic weapons bearing down on kyle and it's a really cool group shot and it looks a lot like a jack kirby panel and i don't think that's coincidental because joe sinnett was 
Kirby's inker on the Fantastic Four for a very long time, and it really shows in this panel. That that kind of Kirby-esque dynamism of the characters, I think, really comes through. Yeah, that is a good one, too. I enjoyed that panel quite a bit. Well, Corey, I've got a question I've got to put to you. All right. Behold or be gone. Now, in this issue, it is mentioned that Clea is left to treat Kyle in Doctor Strange's place because Doctor Strange is off having an adventure. The adventure he's having takes place over six issues of the Micronauts comic book. Whoa. He is having a crossover with the Micronauts and exploring the microverse. And so that inspired the following question. If you had the opportunity to spend six months in a universe of a licensed toy line from your youth, would you and what would it be? Behold or be gone? Uh, yeah, I just don't know which one. Jeez, that's a, that's a big thing to spring on a guy. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's a lot to think about here. Most of the toy lines that I really liked when I was growing up that I found really exciting would be pretty scary to exist in that universe. Like, it seems like there's a lot of fighting going on. A lot of them had, like, some kind of a dystopian future element to them. Or else would be, like, similar to our own universe in ways that are not that exciting. And six months is a pretty long amount of time. So, I don't know. Do you want to go for a more exciting realm or one that's, like, more placid but maybe less dangerous? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair point, right? Like, because I don't think I had any toys that, like, if you were placed in their reality would not have been dangerous except maybe the he-man universe like and the smurfs it seemed like those two not a lot of bad shit happened those were two of the ones that occurred to me too and the smurfs is enticing on certain levels i like the idea of magic being real that's kind of fun on the other hand it is like medieval times and six months is probably the outside of what i could do there just without getting super frustrated and just wanting to yell at everyone to wash their goddamn hands. Um, <laughs> like, nobody's going to smell good. You're not going to have a shower or much of an opportunity to bathe for six months. Could be pretty rough living in a Smurf-averse. And that's if, you know, Big Mouth doesn't eat ya. Mm -hmm. So, that's not ideal. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe is kind of appealing to me, but... I feel like somebody might accidentally kill me <laughs> because I would be the only guy there without just like giant balloon like muscles on muscles. So I'm not going to be able to find any clothes that fit me. Uh -huh. Also, I feel like somebody might just pat me on the back and then my, I don't know, heart would just burst through my sternum. Damn. On the other hand, everybody there is pretty dumb and pretty gullible and you could maybe make a little extra cash by, uh, blackmailing Prince Adam because, like, it's going to be obvious to you if nobody else that he's, you know, he's He-Man. Yeah, you know, it's 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 strange that uh, this is what brings me back, but I remember one Christmas when I was a little, little boy in the 80s, I was very sick. I had the flu or something, and I was in bed. I couldn't even make it to the, to the Christmas tree to unwrap my stuff. And um, I got in my bed to unwrap a toy that was the Hornetroid which is like an insect 
the helicopter thing that the Micronauts used to fly around in. Ooh. And so I actually can't really remember anything about the Micronauts, but I loved that toy so much. I, I think just out of pure nostalgia, I'm going to go with that. All right. It seems like they have a pretty dangerous universe, but I can understand that. Also, if you visit a like high tech universe, it does give you the opportunity to like, I don't know, pull a booster gold and just like hijack that tech and bring it back here. And I don't know, you could fight crime or just make a zillion dollars off of it. Those both seem pretty fun. Mm -hmm. The danger is going to be a lot for me. I think I'm going to give it a behold, but I'm going to go with the toy line that I never actually had any of. I'm going to go with Strawberry Shortcake. It's just uh, six months in a nice, pleasant place full of baked goods where people are mostly nice to each other. There's a real asshole by the name of the Purple Pie Man but I can't really bring myself to be too intimidated by a guy named the Purple Pie Man. What's his deal? Does his pies, does he make bad pies that are unenjoyable? Or I am not overly familiar with the strawberry shortcake lore. All I know about the Purple Pie Man is I remember listening to a friend's record of it. And after he introduces himself, he goes, Ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-
Gargi. Yep. In both cases, for not dropping Kyle down the stairs. <laughs> Corey, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? There was a surprising dearth of sound effects, despite all the action that happened. Mm-hmm. I only really found a couple, I think. Yeah, I went with just a classic punch in the face where Nighthawk is, is punching the bad doctor and it makes the sound without an exclamation point. So I think it wasn't a great punch, but with two two H's, the word bash, B-A-S-H-H, bash. Yeah, that does sound like a soft punch. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do see later that it broke Dr. Master's glasses, but uh, it's a nice sound effect. I like that it is kind of... I don't know, underselling Kyle. It's like you're hushing a sheep. <laughs> bash. <laughs> I think that would be more of a bosh. Yeah, that's that's true. Thank you for that that correction. It's the finer points that trip me up. See, Corey, I don't like to brag, but uh I know what sounds barnyard animals make. <laughs> oh yeah? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Ask me a barnyard animal. Um chicken. Uh, chicken says cluck cluck, Corey. Uh huh. Turkey. Gobble gobble. I could do this all day. Oh man, yeah. No, this isn't even fun. It's like playing Mario Kart against you. It's like, come on, give a guy a chance. Jeez. Sorry, Corey. Ugh. I decided to go with a different sound effect for mine. I went with click a kick a kick. That is on page ten, and it is Torrance, who is the orderly slash security guard. Playing what looks like Pong or Brickles when he is alerted to Kyle's intrusion by something on the screen. But in that panel, too, you see it's making the click, kick, 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 kick. And you see his fingers moving across the keyboard in such a way that they're just a blur. So I think that's interesting just having the single click be followed up in that kind of rapid succession. It seems like this Torrance, for his other failings, seems to be pretty good at his job. No, nah, he's just typing, um, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> oh, he probably is. Good call. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I had that one, too. That was a really cleverly illustrated panel for the mm-hmm. fastest, you know, hunt and peck typer we got. Yeah, he totally, when you see he, he has that piece of paper in front of him, I bet it totally says all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Mm-hmm. Corey, let's have a bottle of the band names. <laughs> Where did you go? <laughs> it was like you're disappearing down a tunnel. Uh, I went into band name land. Okay. That was almost a quip. Almost. <laughs> Do you ever see that movie Maneater where uh, it's like Jaws, but about a tiger in, I think, Alabama, and it stars Gary Busey? No somehow there's a great line in that where like the mayor doesn't want to cancel the peach festival or something like that even though there's a man-eating tiger in town uh gary Busey plays the sheriff and somebody asks him where the tiger came from and his answer is i don't know tiger land that's a pretty good Busey you do i could i could see his close set eyes staring intently into <laughs> into my soul when you said that i did not like it i'm sorry but that's a pretty good quip Tiger land. Pretty good. Pretty good. Anyway, what band names were you able to find in this issue? Bearing in mind, they will be going up against returning champ, unintelligent looking girl, 
who thoroughly trounced Capital Steps-esque political parody psychedelic folk band, The Birds in the Bush. Oh, weird. Yeah, I guess our parents aren't the voting block we thought they might be. <laughs> we should we should tell them what Twitter is. No. <laughs> that just seems mean. Yeah, that's true. I had a band that they're not, I guess, unique because the shtick has been done before, but they put a Muzak twist on some classics, and uh, they're called the Special Elevator. Ooh, Special Elevator is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of the 13th Floor Elevator. Uh, speaking of Dusty Hill, I think he was in that band as well. Oh, no kidding. I don't know that band. I might be mixing them up with the Moving Sidewalks. It's one of those mm. garage bands from the late 60s. I think that's a very good name. I had a, a fairly straight ahead, I think, uh, maybe screamo punk band called Arrogant Scum. Oh, yeah. Pretty good band name. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're probably more like crust punk. Okay. On the other end of things, kind of a softer, more melodic indie band. I'm thinking like the High and the Mighty, not the rap group, but the... I don't know what to call them other than kind of a softer, melodic alternative band. But along those lines, I have the Quiescent States. Mm. I think that's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, just kind of atmospheric stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd put that on in the background while I'm making dinner or something. Sure, yeah. Uh, what else do you have? I have one which, again, I know I keep coming up against this. I can't tell if they're like an acoustic ensemble or if they're more just like loud rock. And uh, these guys are the Savage Assault of the Mind Rats. Oh, I don't know how this works, because I had just the Mind Rats. I think your name is probably better. Does does that count as a match or not really? I'd say not really, just okay. to give us some, some leeway if you have another some, one. Some wiggle room. No, that was the last one that I had. Uh. But the Savage Assault of the Mind Rats... I feel like maybe the Mind Rats is the name of the band, but the Savage Assault of the Mind Rats is their debut album. Oh, I like it. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. What kind of music do you think they play? Gosh, I don't know. I think they maybe sound like the Vines or something, like just, you know, kind of rock music with, you know, their their roots in the earlier times, like the Rolling Stones, but, uh, you know... Uh, modern-ish twist on it like uh like the strokes kind of type stuff sure yeah Mm -hmm. i can see that so like like a a blues influenced kind of straight ahead throwback rock yeah i think that's pretty good um where are you landing on this because yeah i think that's what the mind rats are in their debut album savage assault of the mind rats kind of white stripesy almost yeah i feel like the full name is maybe going to just resonate with people because it puts more pictures in your head than just the mind rats. Okay. Savage Assault of the Mind Rats is good. Do you want to have that be our choice or do any of the other names strike you as a better name to go with? So let's see. The Quiescent States was... The Quiescent States is like an an atmospheric making dinner rock, I'm going to call them. (laughs) That's going to sell a lot of records. Uh Uh-huh. Arrogant Scum, Crust Punk. I had uh, the Special Elevator. 
Oh, special elevators, nice. It's just like Misfits and Minor Threat covers done to <laughs> elevator music. Okay. I, I, I kind of like that. A little Black Flag, you know. I don't know. Which, which of those is hitting you the hardest? I think I want to go with the Savage Assault of the Mine Rats. Okay, Savage Assault of the Mind Rats it is. The straight-ahead, blues-influenced, kind of throwback rock music of the Savage Assault of the Mind Rats. Yeah, cerebral throwback rock. Okay, cerebral throw. Oh, I like because they're the Mind Rats. Uh-huh. Totally. Okay, cool. Well, I will post that up on Twitter, and we will see how badly they get beaten by an intelligent-looking girl, because, gosh, I think that might be the new Get the Squid Drunk. Time will tell. Indeed. Sartorially speaking, Corey, which elements of fashion in this issue did you find most noteworthy? Oh, boy. Though I really disliked Kyle in this issue, I really fell for his fuzzy orange turtleneck cable sweater with a uh, green blazer with patches on the sleeves look. That's from the flashbacks? No, that's from uh, the end when he's being very bitter on page 20. Oh, right. Gotcha. That is a pretty solid look. I like that outfit. I also liked I don't know if it technically counts as an outfit, because it's an outfit in a painting, but in Mindy's first draft of Kyle's outfit that we see on page five, he's wearing an orange shirt that looks like it has a Clea collar, almost. Hmm. Like, it just has a weird square that he stuck his head through as part of it. And it's just kind of a weird look, and I don't know if it's supposed to be a commentary on Mindy's art skills, or if maybe it was just a weird piece of late 60s fashion that I'm unfamiliar with. But uh, either way, pretty decent shirt. Not bad. Speaking of Kyle's shirts, in the opening couple of pages, he is wearing a white dress shirt that has some really big, I call them gym-approved shirt pockets. (laughs) Because your dad would totally approve of this shirt. It just has giant shirt pockets that button. That, you know, you could put your whole calculator in. You can put your whole multi-tool in. They're just, it's a nice utilitarian shirt with some very large pockets. And I appreciated that. You know, he had one of those those wallets that was like, just had a bunch of stuff in it. And he would put that in his, his like left shirt pocket. Mm-hmm. And it just looked so lopsided and uncomfortable. I always thought that that was weird. Yeah, it was a weird look. I actually have some of those shirts as hand-me-downs now. Good pockets, eh? Honestly, too many pockets. I can never find anything in them. Because they've got, like, pockets on pockets. So if you put something in it, then you're like, oh, I'll just get that out of my pocket. No, it's on the in the pocket behind that pocket. No, it's in the pocket inside of the pocket that's behind that pocket. I don't care for that. Corey, it's too many pockets. Yeah, that's, I'm with you. My favorite outfit in this book, though, is worn by Luann Bloom. And it lives up to her name in her, the opening pages. She is wearing a yellow skirt and vest suit, it looks like, that has uh, little pictures of roses all over it. And then a white ruffled collar on the shirt that she's wearing under the rose vest. It's just a neat look. I like it. Yeah, that one was good. I'd kind of prefer her 
more bohemian style at the end, also on page 20. And she's got like a canary yellow knee-length dress with medium lapels and a, like an orange ascot and an orange belt. Yeah, that's a nice cravat. It looks like she maybe mugged Fred from Scooby-Doo to get it. But you know what? If he couldn't protect himself, then it's hers now by right of conquest. <laughs> what just happened? I, it really only applies to ascots. But if you can take someone's ascot, then it's yours. Uh, doesn't sound like a fun game at all if you're the person wearing the ascot. No, that's why I don't wear them. Oh. Sadly, that's what happened to Mr. Furley. Not Don Knotts, mind you, but the character Mr. Furley. Uh, right. Yes, someone tried to steal his ascot and he had it on tied on too tightly and he, he died. Oh, man, I, I don't remember that, but I haven't seen Three's Company since I was a kid. It was implied. Oh, okay. When you play the game of ascots, you win or you die. <laughs> tragic Corey we talked a little bit about pies already but there's one type of pie we haven't discussed this episode yet and that's a pie not made out of steel what words did you enjoy most in this issue much like you would enjoy a pie if it were not made out of steel it's on page 14 and it's uh, the two panels on the top of the page where the first one has kind of a bunch of exposition boxes where Evil Doctor is explaining how Kyle became disabled from Mindy's psychic blast. And it cuts to him, you know, having a word bubble at the end where he says, in fact, our brain boys think that's what disabled you. Tough break there. I just, the fact that this esteemed super spy scientist, Evil Doctor, calls his scientific crew his brain boys. Well, it's better than earlier when he calls them, get in there, you cretins. And that's before he's had to reveal that he's a government agent. I think that's supposed to be the first sign that we get that he's maybe not on the up and up. But uh, it was still just like, oh, I don't think you're supposed to address your staff that way, buddy. No, that's a seriously hostile work environment. But uh, I, I don't know. That just it cracked me up. There, there actually was a, a fair amount of pretty interesting dialogue in here. And, and just Kyle's reaction to that, too. Tough break? I liked a couple of their exchanges, too. I think amongst my favorites was also on page 14, after the part that you were referencing, when he tells Mindy to attack Kyle. He says, sorry about this, but national security's at stake. McGee, juice our girl up. It's time the hero boy learned a little lesson in patriotism. I really like having a evil character hide behind the flag and i thought that was pretty well done and also just the mcgee juice our girl up like just that he sees her as a weapon as a means to an end uh and that he calls kyle hero boy it's just so dismissive and uh jocular when he's telling somebody to essentially denude somebody to the bones with their mind rats yeah, no, this Doctor character is one of my favorite uh, evildoers. Just the effortless arrogance, <laughs> you know, that he displays towards everybody else. that's not him. Well, and if he doesn't get something, he dismisses it, which is another one on page 12. He has a great exchange with Kyle, I think, where Kyle says, What the devil is the United States government doing running an operation at a sanitarium? Testing out a new nerve gas on the patient's? And that's not a very good line, and that is underscored by the fact that Dr. Master's response is, your wit escapes me, but if you're really interested, step right this way. Yeah. I just like the dismissive, your wit escapes me. So, like, yeah, I don't get that. Anyway, 
I thought that was really fun. And I also liked a different exchange that happened very early in the comic when I still had high hopes for Nighthawk, where he's just kind of waffling. And it's an exchange he has with Clea, where he says, maybe it's not worth the effort. I mean, with pulling the pieces of Richmond Enterprises back together and that stupid government investigation of my finances, who's got the time to come here every week and get zapped around like a cosmic ping pong ball? And Clay just says, you do, Kyle. And he goes, yeah, so maybe I do. <laughs> but why should you go to all the trouble of? And she's like, because I'm your friend. It's that simple. He goes, yeah, I guess it is, huh? <laughs> I just really like that exchange. On the one hand, it is very sweet from Clea. And on the other hand, I really like the Kyle just being like, ah, who has the time to do all this stuff? And she's just like, you do? He's like, yeah, I guess I do. But why would you do this? Uh, do it because of this. Oh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just thought it was a really fun exchange, and I liked that. It was good. Now, Corey, we both know that the Hulk but in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? The Hulk's rules are, if you find yourself in a hostile work environment where your boss calls you a cretin or a brain boy, just get out. Mm. Nothing's going to go good. There's going to be mind rats. There's going to be zapping. Get out of there. I think that's a very good rule for the Hulk to learn. I had him also learning a pretty straightforward rule about workplaces, and that would be don't go to a mental institution that employs someone named Nurse Ratchet. It just seems like it's not going to work out well. That's fair. Is that a assigned reading, I wonder, still in like uh, English classes in high school in the States? I don't know. It wasn't for me. Was it for you? It wasn't, but I feel like it's one of those books that gets referenced all the time. And I just, I, like, I read it when I was a teenager because like, oh, I mm -hmm. should read the counterculture, right? And, yeah. So maybe... I read that after I read the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. Did you? I don't remember the order in which I read those. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was I read the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test and then was like, oh, I should read some stuff by this Ken Kesey guy. And then I did. Mm -hmm. And it was that. And then I was like, that was really good. And now I've read a book by him, so I'm done. <laughs> and then you read the Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance and you're just like, what just happened? Yeah, pretty much. And those are the Hulk's rules. <laughs> Corey, we've almost reached the end of our adventure here today. But before we go, I do have one more question I have to ask you. Shoot. In the year of our Lord, 1981, and the month of our Lord, December, what Wong doings was Wong doing? So early in the month, around the 8th, one adventure that I know of uh, had to do with uh, making a run for some munchies. Mm. Steve got a, a hankering for some falafel from his favorite falafel vendor who happened to be in Manhattan and sent Wong out to go retrieve some of those tasty fried golden balls. And so Wong complied and was headed out to do that. It was one of those like a street cart vendors. Mm -hmm. And um, he's, he's waiting for his order of uh, falafel sandwiches and smells good. He's pretty excited. He hears a sound he hadn't heard before, and he looks up, and he sees a, an infant plummeting from a six-story window in the apartment building above him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's flustered, and uh, he quickly does a, a spell 
to uh, you know cause this gust of wind sort of to come and buffet the the child's descent so that it gently lands on some shrubbery and that's why on December eighth a nineteen um, month old Robert Pelescu who fell out of his parents' sixth floor window landed with no broken bones and not even a scratch. Oh. So, you know, good on Wong, and he, he got his falafels and headed home. But what he did not know was that there was a little bit of a, I guess, like a butterfly effect happening where... Oh, Corey, did that boy grow up to be a murderer? Oh, I, I don't know what happened to that guy. But what did happen was that that gust of wind, yeah, set off this chain of events, which uh, resulted in some weather pattern changes and this and that, which in turn caused an enormous murmuration of sparrows, like one of those big, you know, flocks of birds all flying like in the same shape, which mm-hmm. uh, totally distracted a, a 61-year-old Albert Deutschler, uh, resulting in him stepping in front of a, a train and, and being killed 10 days later Oh God! on the 18th. But actually it turned out that he was a former member of a Nazi paramilitary group that had participated in the mass murder of hundreds of Jewish civilians in the Ukraine. He had later moved to the U.S. and actually become a naturalized citizen in 1957. His evil deeds had been uncovered, and there was a petition filed to revoke his citizenship, which actually happened the day before that murmuration of sparrows that caused him to be killed by a train. So, you know, who who knew? Went out for falafels, uh, saved a baby, and killed a Nazi. What a roller coaster. Yep. Wow. Well, that may have been one or a few things that Wong was up to, but it wasn't the only action he took that month that had some unforeseen, almost immediate consequences. See, Wong was watching some primetime television and had partaken of a little bit of some strong Jamaican incense, maybe a little stronger than he was used to. And he was watching the debut of a TV show called Falcon Crest. <laughs> now, this is before we had the internet or IMDB. And as he was watching it, he was like, that lady in that show looks super familiar. Where do I know her from? Wait a minute. Is that? I can't remember her name. Is that Reagan's ex-wife? I think maybe it is. I'm going to forget. I'm going to write this down. So he wrote down so he could remember to ask Steve later, because Steve was a bit of an old Hollywood head. He wrote down Reagan's X on Falcon Crest, because Jane Wyman was in fact the female lead of the show Falcon Crest, which debuted on December 4th. Now here's where things go a little bit off the rails. Steve came home and he found that note, but Wong's penmanship at that point was not entirely clear, and all he saw was like Reagan X on Falcon Crest. Now, Falcon Crest had just debuted, and Steve wasn't aware that it was a show, so he assumed that that was Wong's shorthand for Nighthawk. (laughs) And so he saw Reagan X on Nighthawk. He's like, oh no, the president is going to assassinate Kyle. Well, I'll put a stop to this. And so he started calling the White House, on repeat, and just saying things like, Nothing better happen to my flappity friend, Mr. President, or there will be dire consequences. And he left a ton of messages like that. Now, he was calling through mystic sources, so they couldn't track the exact location that these calls were coming from, but it freaked out Reagan, and he was like, 
Oh, I'm having a jelly bean, and somebody's trying to kill me, I think. I guess I'd better enact some terrible policies. That's my favorite thing to do. Or words to that effect. I'm paraphrasing slightly. That was a pretty good Reagan you did there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But essentially, that, that is why Reagan got very paranoid, and he signed an order allowing the CIA to commit domestic acts of counterintelligence mm. and spy on its own citizens, which was something that it had not previously been allowed to do. Now, there's a pretty good chance he was going to do that anyway, but it got helped along a little bit because it was signed that very same day by Steve's attempts to protect his friend Kyle from being axed by Reagan. Dang. And that is what Wong was probably up to in December of 1981. How about that? Watching Falcon Crest and having a detrimental effect on U.S. domestic policy in regards to the CIA. Dang, Wong. But at least he killed a Nazi. Yep, there's that. Kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah, saved a baby. Saved a baby, too. Quite a month. Indeed. And it's been quite a month for us, too. Yep. It's been a weird one. Yeah. We will be back next week with another new Teen Titans adventure. I'm looking forward to that. And we'll be back in two weeks with another Defender story, which I understand is going to focus on the gargoyle. So maybe we'll learn a little bit more about old Isaac Christians. And I do mean old, because he's very old. Mm. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so by reaching us at ttwasteland at gmail.com or via our post office box, that's Titan Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. We're also up in uh, various parts of the socials media. We're on some, uh, some Twitters and some Facebooks and some Instagram and Sea uh, Captains Only, of course. Mm -hmm. I got what looks like a spam email to be a top mentor on Wisdom dot com which is an app that i don't think is a real thing but i do like the idea of being the best at being a mentor mm. in the category of comedy <laughs> you should do that yeah i think i probably will it's uh tragedy plus time mm -hmm. my work here is done yeah so maybe i won't be on that app anyway well no just get on there and wait <laughs> oh oh well, no, first I got to do a tragedy. Oh. Nah, never mind. Don't do that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you missed the whole first part of the equation, Corey. Oh, I don't know. That's yeah, okay. It's the complicated arithmetic of humor. Mm. I don't know. That's like uh, why it's funny when you fart, because it smells like something died a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's tragedy plus time equals comedy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I get it. Just mentor the shit out of that. You can do it. <laughs> All right, I'll do my best. Pretty sure it's a scam. Well, I'll be all up in the internets in various places. I'll be teaching uh, groundbreaking lessons like that. But hey, if you can't find us in any of those places, there's one more place you can look, and that's deep inside your heart. I'll be in there. We always have been. We always will be. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? That's a good question. Maybe uh, making that... Uh... I wait, did I make a pie last time? 
Yeah, you made a pie last time, Corey. Oh, I was just thinking about that blueberry pie I was talking about earlier. Uh, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I'm, I'm probably uh, trying to make my way through the rest of this mountain of um, Defenders comic books. <laughs> Tough but fair. I might be reading the second Dragonlance novel in there. I found the first one on my road trip, and it was pretty good. Pretty good, huh? So I, I missed out on it in my youth, but uh, I don't know. Are, Corey, are they going to try to put Flint Fireforge in a boat again? You got to keep reading, my friend. Oh, he hates that shit. Oh? Oh, he hates it so much. So yeah, I'll, I'll probably be doing that. And I mean, you know, if it's okay if I bring Finley into your hearts with me, because uh, I, I got to keep an eye on him. So I'll probably lay down a futon in your heart next to Finley's crate. And, uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll try to keep an eye on him and maybe cuddle him a little bit as I read the second Dragonlance book. In the warm embrace of dog drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yep. If you would like to support the show and keep us in dog drug money, you can check <laughs> us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the monthly Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa, where relatively soon going to be doing a reboot as we get to the end of the Howard the Duck original run and uh, who knows what we'll be doing next could be anything but uh, we look forward to your input on that and uh, there's also a bunch of other stuff up there there's some bonus episodes there's the one that I did with Megan Bob where we watched the Scooby-Doo WWE crossover film Curse of the Speed Demon that was a lot of fun and there's a bunch of video reviews of classic comic books that are up there and a bunch of other podcasts that we've done over the years so if you're a donor feel free to poke around and enjoy as much of that exclusive content as you like it's yours thank you if you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way Corey what's a good way for people to do that well the first and maybe most powerful way is to just tell everybody. Yeah, just get on a PA and just shout. Don't shut up about tighten up the defense. Even if, you know what, especially if people tell you to. Yeah. They can't silence you. Get in the back of your friend's Subaru Brat <laughs> with a megaphone. Yeah. Maybe wear a, a nice hat. Oh, sure, but put a strap on it because, you know, you're in the back of a Subaru Brat. Uh-huh. And uh, bring your megaphone. Mm-hmm. Go to town. Tell the world. Uh-huh. Tell them, tighten up the defense. It's a podcast. You have to listen to it. You've just got to. Yep, all that stuff. But uh, I guess if you don't have a friend with a brat or a megaphone oh. or a nice hat with a strap, you could always just leave a review in the same place where you listen to the podcast. Oh, that's a good idea. And also, it, it, it would also probably work. We haven't tried it. It would probably also work from an El Camino or a uh, a Subaru Baja. That's the later model, which for a while I thought was maybe pronounced Subaru Baja. Like uh, Morris, Morris Day. Day would be driving it. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's technically the case, or at least they're not allowed to say it. Uh -huh. But I, I think that's probably a good idea, too. Yeah. Corey, if they were to instead leave a review on a uh, place where a review can be left, what would be an example of something a review might say? Hmm. 
well, I think it was a somebody with a keen understanding of comedy, maybe even a mentor, you could say, <laughs> said, uh, this podcast is like wrapping yourself in a warm bathrobe of nonsense while you putter around the house. Oh, that's beautiful. Five Corey. stars. Yeah. We actually got another new review recently for the show that, that I'm pretty fond of. Zark, exclamation point, says, where are all the drugs? I was specifically told that this podcast was all about drugs, but Hub and Corey keep talking about comics. I am severely disappointed. Five stars. <laughs> and Zark, you're welcome for today's episode. Oh yeah, plenty of drug talk. Yeah. So, you know, we are all things to all people. Mm. There's another five-star review. I can't stop coming up all with All things to all people, five stars. Uh-huh. Uh, here, here would be another one. This comedy is like tragedy plus time. Funny. Yes. Uh-huh. Not necessarily a stinky fart. Also funny. Yes, which is also <laughs> funny. Five stars. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, that's some good stuff for the listeners to uh, build upon. Yeah, those are some action items, uh, as we say in the biz. Hmm. That's volume two of my mentorship program. <laughs> action items. Action items. Gotta say that. It's, it's a phrase. Uh -huh. Very important. Call to action would be another thing you could say. Mm -hmm. Action required. That's, that's another one. Oh, yeah, that's how you can end the email. Mm -hmm. AR for short. There we go. Uh -huh. Make sure people don't think you mean Arkansas, though. When you end it with a colon, then you write what they got to do after it. Gotcha. But it, it gets confusing if what they've got to do before that is a little rock, comma. <laughs> oh, stop. I can't. Uh, actually, you know what? I can. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> There was like, I think, W-U-N-H. I, I remember that in Durham. Oh, yeah, that was good. I used to record uh, hip-hop and reggae music from different col the, that college radio show. I had a friend who used to call into that and make up band names uh, to request, and then sometimes it would turn out that it was a real band name. Oh, it's kind of like what we do on this show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, the, the only one that I remember that he did that with was he didn't know the Meat Puppets was an actual band. And I was like, oh, well, if that wasn't, you came up with a really good band name. But, you know, mm -hmm. it's a band. Yeah. No, I he was pretty disappointed. Well, no, well, that's OK. Yeah, he deserved a little disappointment in his life. <laughs> yeah. You hear me, Andy?